welcome to episode two of Find Your Light, the podcast that helps women in theater take center stage in lives they love. I'm your host and grown-up theater kid extraordinaire, Emily Stamets. Now, in the conversation you're going to hear that I had with Katie Osborne, we talked a little bit about the challenges of being a nice person in a leadership role. I'm going to speak from my experience in organizational leadership and theater, but please know that what I suggest is applicable no matter what your team looks like, a business, a family, a classroom, a faith-based group, volunteers, a gang of kittens, you get the idea. The tension between being nice and being a leader is something that women in particular, but not exclusively, deal with. And during my conversation with Katie, I actually said I don't have any answers. Well, I've done some thinking and reading about the nice conundrum since speaking with Katie, and I do have one really good strategy to share. In so many industries, a leader is someone who is tough, strong, demanding, uncompromising, and maybe even mean. But women are often uncomfortable with that. Now, I don't know if it's because we've been socialized to be nice, to be people pleasers, to avoid conflict in order to keep ourselves safe or because as women are represented at higher percentages and at higher levels, we're leading a shift into a less hierarchical workplace structure. To use Katie's word, um, moving into a generative space. Either way, we're typically nicer than the guys on the team. And that's often seen as a detriment. But, and stick with me here, what if it's not? I'm fortunate that my formal leadership training has been in primarily woman-dominated fields, from high school when I was a state officer of the International Thespian Society to Harvard and my school leadership master's. Those spaces were dominated by women. And yes, there is still absolutely the nice versus tough dichotomy, misogynist underpinnings, and hierarchical structures. But I'm ridiculously grateful that my experiences have been in those spaces and not as like one of three women in an MBA program or a law program, which by the way, wholehearted shout out to the women who are one of three in an MBA program or a law program. You are taking one for the team. You are making roads. We see you and we are proud of you. Now, personally, I can't imagine trying to be less nice than I am. I'm already using a gajillion brain cells, keeping tabs on my language, reading the room, listening closely to the people I'm talking to, and yeah, far more often than I'd like, keeping myself safe. But this is a note that people receive consistently. You can't be so nice or they'll walk all over you. Well, I say barf on that, barf all over that. Hear me on this. That doesn't have to be true. I have a thought that I'd like you to try on for size. Now, it's not a remedy for all of the societal woes that ail us, but it is a really useful tip that I use on the daily. Here it is. Nice is for people. Tough is for the work. You can be nice to a person and also demand that they produce high quality work, right? You can ask about their new puppy and squeal over the photos from Hawaii and also enforce that deadline. Now, the trick to this is a mindset shift that has also been helpful to my inner game. It's called separating the person from the practice, and it breaks down something like this. A person's performance is not a reflection of their value as a human being. 
Let's all take a moment and whisper that into our hearts. Repeat after me. My performance is not a reflection of my value as a human being. We have all created absolute stinkers, shows that bombed, voices that cracked on stage, businesses that lost so much money. But that doesn't mean that we're all shitty people. How could it possibly mean that? The world would just be filled with shitty people if that was true. And it's obviously not true because you're here. So now let's take that lens and point it towards the folks that you're working with. They will also produce stinkers. They're going to write terrible dialogue, miss deadlines, lose that one scrap of paper with a super important phone number on it. But that doesn't mean that they're bad people. It means that they're human and you're allowed to be nice to the human that they are. In fact, I would argue that you should be nice to the humans around you, especially if you're naturally inclined to be nice. Why not? It won't hurt anything and it could definitely help. When we're kind, we open up avenues of energy that might otherwise stay closed. We forge a path for mutual respect and acknowledgement. When we're kind, we see other people, which in time can create a safe place to be seen. The world needs more of that. At the same time, we should all expect and perhaps demand the best of other people. The way I see it, that's kindness. It's nice to expect someone to be their best and to see them capable of showing up at a higher level. Now, the tricky part of this work is that it asks us to be fully present with other people, to see them where they are and honor true effort where it is, even if it doesn't meet our expectations. That might be a future podcast topic. (laughs) So here's how being nice and tough might look. You can ask about the puppy and then ask about the deadline. When you give critical feedback, focus on the work. So instead of saying you're bad and you make stupid stuff, you might say this project wasn't received well. The performance needed more polishing before being seen by an audience or kindly proofread every slide before presenting them to Oprah. This works with our internal dialogue too. If you have a habit of thinking, of course I'm running late, I'm a procrastinator and I'm terrible at being on time, start flipping that to, I arrived late today. That's so simple. It's no big deal. It's not a judgment on who you are. I'm a hot mess becomes there's a lot on my plate right now and I feel frazzled today. One great thing that this does, the separation of person from practice, is that in addition to just feeling better and feeling nicer, it leaves open the chance to get better. If I am a procrastinator, there's no chance for me to become not a procrastinator. But if I'm late today, I can have another go at it tomorrow. If I feel frazzled by all my commitments today, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a complete disaster all the time, or that that's who I am as a person. I can always improve and get better. The bottom line is you can be nice and tough at the same time. I find this strategy of separating the person from the practice to be incredibly helpful. Remember to be kind to the person to value the person, to see who they are, to show up with them at the place where they are today. 
and be demanding, uncompromising, have high expectations for the practice. Demand a lot. Expect that your standards will be met. If you're naturally a nice person, if being nice feels authentic to you, keep being nice. There is a place for that. The paradigm is shifting and you're a part of that. Now let's dive into Katie's interview. Please note that Katie Osborne and I are both comfortable with profanity. Also, oh, there's a really gorgeous part of our conversation that I had to cut out of the podcast for time. You can find that on the podcast Facebook page and on my YouTube channel. I'll drop links for you in the show notes. I'm speaking today with Katie Osborne. Now, Katie has a really cool, diverse background that has led to what she's doing today in theater. Let me just give you a quick overview. She has her BA in theater from St. Ambrose University. She started then in Bridal Alterations. She's written non-player character dialogue for video games. She's done graphic design. She's worked as a historical interpreter, and she ran the marketing department of a riverboat casino, all while simultaneously working with the Prenzy Players, which is a small found space Shakespeare company in Rock Island, Illinois. Now, she's super passionate about Shakespeare. She actually has two master's degrees in Shakespeare, which is a little ridiculous, but super, super cool. And what she's doing today is she works as the entertainment director, which for us theater folks, we could consider that the artistic director at the Georgia Renaissance Festival. She also runs a murder mystery dinner theater with her partner, which I think is super cool too. And we're going to talk about all of this and more right now. How'd you get where you are? Like, how did you start in theater and how did you get to what it looks like? Yeah. Um, okay. So how I got into theater is actually a, like, it's a hard question, right? Because like, there's no moment in my life where I remember being like, this is a thing that I should do. It's, you know, when I was a little kid, I grew up, we didn't have cable. And so we watched like all of the old, like movie musicals. And so growing up like that was, I was just surrounded by like kind of that. And so I grew up loving those musicals. I grew up loving those stories. And so it was just sort of a natural progression. Like I was just always like a show off in school and I was like always like screwing around in the back of class. Um, and so basically, you know, like my parents were very, they're both lawyers, um, which was very crazy. Cause I was like, I like theater and they're like, cool. Um, and, but they were always really supportive and they signed me up for like camps and stuff. And then I like went to high school, was a theater kid in high school, went to college, was a theater kid in high school or in college. And then my life got weird because I actually talked myself out of being an actor for a long time. Um, after college, I graduated with a theater major and then I just got all of these random weird jobs. Um, I started off doing alterations at a bridal salon um, and then I did, I was a graphic designer and then I ran the marketing department of a, a riverboat casino in Iowa. Um, it was weird, right? Like I was just like, I just had so many like different weird jobs that my resume makes no sense. Um, but at the same time I had gotten into running, um, or working with and running this little theater company in the Quad Cities called the Prenzy Players. Um, and they do primarily Shakespeare, like found space Shakespeare. Um, and they've been around for about 20 years. They're like real small, but I, they're just amazing people. And so I was working with them and I was like, sort of like discovering this passion I had for Shakespeare um, while working this kind of like soul crushing, administrative, boring job during the day. Um, <laughs> and so at one point, like my boss, 
um, my boss at the casino came in and basically said, hey, we're restructuring the department. There are five of you. There are going to be four jobs available. Fight, you know, basically. Um, but my thing was, I was the youngest person working in the department. Um, I was the only person who didn't have kids. I was the only person who wasn't married. I was the only person who like didn't have a house. Um, and so I just kind of like looked around and I was like, this is not what I want to be doing. Um, and I felt like I had really sort of started finding my passion. And so the story I like to tell, which is kind of a true story, is that I went into my office, I shut the door, I applied for grad school, um, wrote my like application, went down the hall to get like a tea from the employee kitchen, came back and had basically gotten accepted to the program. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. This is cool. Um, and wait, so, what grad school program is that? Because I know uh, I had to wait like months to hear for a bar. I know, right? <laughs> um, no, I was really fortunate. Um, it was Mary Baldwin University Shakespeare and Performance Program. Awesome. Um, and like basically, you know, like I had to like officially apply and everything and go mm -hmm. through all of that. But I sent like a very polite letter of inquiry and their program sort of director was like, yeah, sure. If you want to, yeah, this sounds great. Cool. Um, which was amazing. And so it was really cool. Um, so I sort of like with a month's notice, I moved to Virginia um, and started doing that. And so for the past three years or four years, I guess, I was living in Stanton, Virginia. Um, I got two master's degrees in Shakespeare mm -hmm. um, because, you know, why not? And then um, I got lucky enough to get work at the American Shakespeare Center in Stanton, um, which sort of partners with our program. So I got work after grad school. Um, and then this is the weirdest part of the story. So I um, was talking with my partner and we were trying to figure out like, where did we want to go? You know, we were sort of feeling like we, we wanted to move from Stanton. We had sort of done all that we could do there. Um, and so, you know, we were talking and we had heard all sorts of great things about Atlanta and that there's all this movie work and, and teamwork and props work and all this stuff in Atlanta. And so, um, so I sent an email to my boss, my now boss, his name is Dave. Um, and I said, hey, would it be okay, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about moving to Atlanta, can I come work for you for free on your street cast, because I don't know anybody, and I know a lot of, like, run for people also work in, like, the theater community, um, you know, I just want to come work for free and just be an actor for you, and I sent my, my resume along, and so, but I, I thought I had sent my acting resume, I had sent my professional resume. The weird one. <laughs> Embarrassing. Um, and so he looked at it and he was like, well, actually, as it happens, um, you have marketing and stage management and, and design and all of this stuff. And as it happens, we need a new entertainment manager. It's a year round full-time salary job. Would you be interested? And I was like, <laughs> sure. Um, and so he called me. Um, and I did a phone interview and then I arranged to fly down, um, on, like on my birthday, on my 30th birthday, I interviewed wow. this job, um, and like, I got it, you know? And so now, and then I moved again on a, like a week's notice. Um, I have a habit of moving across the country on a week's notice. Um, and yeah. And so now I'm the entertainment director of the George Renaissance Festival. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so, so you weird. know what, what is actually, I know you described your resume as being weird, but I talk to women all the time. I don't talk to that many men. So when I say women, like just the people that I talk to, which sure. just happen to be women most That's of the time, um, <laughs> often have resumes that are like that, where they're like, I did this thing and I did this completely yeah. thing. And then I did this other thing that had nothing to do with it. And then I took this class on this totally bizarre, like 
random thing. And then all of a sudden now I am in a position or I'm creating art or I am doing something that's using pieces of all of those weird things that I did. It happens all the time. Yeah. So I'm in a place where like, I feel like we need to just encourage people to like do the things, like take the do the weird jobs. If it sounds like fun, do it. I mean, literally like I was always the kid who couldn't decide what I wanted to do. Like I've done photography. I was a slam poet for a while. That was weird. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm a trained blacksmith. I'm like, I'm a historical costumer. I had all of these like random ass skills. Mm-hmm. And finally I was like, and I sort of like evaluated myself and I was like, I'm kind of a walking Renaissance festival anyway. I feel like I fit in this world. And then now I'm in charge of one, um, which is bananas, right? Like it's so crazy. But yeah, I mean, every but like so a crazy. lot of, yeah. And, and I do a lot of theater. I do a lot of performing still as well. And, you know, there's always the kid at the talk back. Well, you know, like what, what is your advice? I'm like, do anything that makes you excited. Like whether you stick with it for six months or six years, like I'm a magician sometimes, like my life is bana- like, it doesn't make any sense, but it's just all of these skills and all of these things that you, that you come across or excite you, like they may come up and they may come handy later on. Like alterations was like my first job. Now I make the costumes at the Renaissance, you know, like, and so it's like, it's, I feel like everything happens for a reason in like that, like very silly way, but like. Yeah, like yeah, just but, yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds like such a cliche, but it actually plays out practically. Yeah, it really in does. So many instances, mm-hmm. um, and I just I just I'm taking notes by the way. Oh, you're fine. Um, because I like to. Uh, but you just said I just put stars and like circles that you just said do anything that makes you excited, and mm-hmm. I was like stars and hearts and circles <laughs> around it because it's such a phenomenal message. If we do nothing else with our lives, like just do those do things. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, sweet. So now you are the, your title is entertainment director, right? Yes, that's Um, me. The Georgia Renaissance Festival. Very fancy. But you also are artistic director of a murder mystery dinner theater. Is that true? That's true. Yes, it's very, it's true. I'm 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 co-artistic director. I don't want to claim all the glory. Um, I own it with um, my partner. Um, and that was another thing where I, it was, we started out in Stanton, um, and I was performing with another murder mystery company. Um, and that murder mystery company kind of, um, folded, folded just, you know, as, as is want to happen. Um, but as it happened, I had a little bit of money and my partner had a little bit of money. And so we just decided like, Hey, you know what? Like, what if we just sort of, uh, started a murder mystery company? And so we took over, um, and now, like, that's my weird trivia fact. It's like, oh, yeah, I also own a theater company. That's cool. Um, it's very small. Um, we have, um, but it's, what's really neat is that it's, um, it's lucrative, which is often not the case, you know? Um, but we have bookings at different, like, ski resorts and entertainment venues in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're looking at expanding here in Atlanta now that we're here now. Um, and yeah, and then we write the shows together and we like, you know, and, and, and so, yeah, so it's this really weird sort of like couple activity, like, oh yeah, our theater company that we, we own and run, like, so yeah, it's been really weird, like, yeah. <laughs> That's super cool though, like what a fun, this just like, I think that both of those, the, the Renaissance Festival and the Murder Mystery thing are just really fun niche theater things. Yeah, and they really are. Um, and what I think is really interesting about both of them is that, like, 
and I'm going to say this very carefully because I don't know who's going to watch this interview, (laughs) but like, you know, growing up and, and I don't think it was ever like a message from like a teacher, you know, nobody ever stood up in front of the class and said this. Um, But, you know, a lot of times, like there are certain types of theater and certain types of art and creation that I think people are like, that's legitimate. And then there's stuff that's like not legitimate. And for a really long time, like, you know, I had always heard, I was always told that like the Ren Fair is where actors go to die. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, no, like, like the the Ren Fair is like so vibrant. It's so like, there's so many different people and so many different skills and so many different artisans like it's a beautiful community and then the same with like murder mysteries like yeah it's it's not Shakespeare I know I do both um but it's such an interesting and and cool way to like hone different types of skills it's a different type of acting different type of performance um but I don't think one is like more more better that's good words yeah Um, more better good words good wording um you know I don't think one is like more important or like less than it's just like it's completely different it's you don't get to like improv and King Lear you know but you get to like go into a murder mystery and like just be the character and goof around and like meet people on their level and I think that's really cool you know yeah, I actually think Shakespeare would have loved murder mystery dinner theater. I think like, I think he would have been all over it. So I, like I don't know. I mean, I think maybe I keep trying to say that we should do like a murder, like a Shakespeare murder mystery, but nobody will let me do it. They're like, no, Kate. What? You should just do it. You don't I need know. to get permission. Give me. I was like, no. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I think it'd be hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I know companies that do like Shakespeare improv, so mm-hmm. why not? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I think it's perfectly reasonable. <laughs> yeah, I, I would go. Um, all right, so give us a snapshot of, like, you have these, you have the, the theater company, which maybe we'll set that as, like, its own little, like, on a shelf, um, yep. but then the Renaissance Festival as well. Um, what does, I, you probably don't have a typical day, but what, what are the, all of the things that are involved? Like, give us, the, the oh, way that I wrote this question is, give us a snapshot of what you do okay. today. So, uh, oh boy. Um, <laughs> so, it really depends. Like, my job is so weird like so yesterday I'm gonna give you a comparison right so yesterday I got I got here and then I had to leave and I had to go do a radio interview for like promotions and I came back and I worked on some costumes um and then I had to audition and act and they wanted to preview some stuff and then I gave them notes on their performance and I cleared their performance and then our sound guy came and I climbed up the the joust towers and checked on the speakers and so I was working on setting up the sound system for a while um then I came back to the office and I what did I do after that oh I repaired the mascots that's what I was doing I was working on the mascots um and then I went home and I sewed a little bit more um then I then today I got to the office and I worked on contracts and I got like parking passes and like all the admin stuff kind of out of the way and I um yeah, and then what I do, then I was painting, I was painting out on site for a while, um, then I was organizing the fairy tea party stuff, and then the, um, like, pennants and banners came in, and so I was sorting those, like, and then I had to meet with a couple of performers who had gotten here early, and they needed to know where to put their trailer, so then they came in, and then there's a guy who was planning a proposal, so I was helping him plan his proposal, and then I was writing, um, a, like, part of the, one of the shows that needs to get finished, I don't know. I would like, I don't know, man. (laughs) It's just, I have no idea. I have no idea how to describe what I do, except that I am in charge of the entertainment at the festival. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the short version. 
the long version is I am involved and in charge of basically everything that falls under that purview. Um, so actor, local actors, local musicians, national acts, national performers, national musicians. Um, I work on the costumes, I write all the scripts, um, and then I do all like sort of the administrative stuff. Um, I also do all of the events, so like weddings and, and, and um, birthday parties and stuff like that. Um, I also do all the educational outreach stuff. So um, we have an education day coordinator who like helps sell the tickets, um, but I facilitate all the shows. I put together all the workshops, all of that stuff, which is like my favorite thing in the whole world because I get to talk about Shakespeare for my job. Um, and yeah, and then I make a lot of spreadsheets. I have a lot of notes on my wall, basically it. Awesome. That's a good snapshot. More like an like a like a scrapbook. That was not one snapshot. That was, no, it was good. That was, it was good because it gives us an idea of like what just another job that's like not um it's it's a very much a generalist position. Yeah, you it's, kind yeah. of have to know a little bit of everything, and it sounds like you're rocking it. I don't know how you have time as one human being to do all of those things. Hope, yeah, uh, hope and coffee and um. I have, yeah, hope and coffee basically yeah. are, are what I utilize. <laughs> and your, um, your position is year round, but how, when is the festival open? So the festival is open um, April 13th to June 2nd. And so okay. I basically say whenever I'm doing stuff like this, um, I always say that I spend 300 and, you know, 50 days planning for 18 days mm -hmm. of the year, um, which is crazy. Um, and it's basically like planning a wedding that lasts from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. that runs for eight weeks. That's basically the equivalent of what I do. So yeah, it's um it's it's weird, like because it's you know, because it's like my background is in stage management, stage management and performance. And so it's weird to work at a place where it's not, you know, it's like the run of the show happens, but inside the run of the show, there's this this many other shows taking that is a lot of things for podcast listeners she just showed a spreadsheet that has like what like 20 oh, yeah, so many podcasts and like 15 <laughs> it's, it's cool and like 15 rows and there's uh probably like three-fourths of it is filled in with something yeah it's and so so the show the way that I always describe it is like the show is the festival day but within that show I have seven stages three pubs three station stages a fairy tea party a pub crawl and a joust and those are all of like the mini shows inside of the show. And then each of those shows has a series of actors, a set of people who are in charge, a set of people who need to be there. It's my job to make sure that they're all there when they're supposed to be, when that's happening and nothing can ever conflict. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so what yes. is the most important lesson that you have learned in the theater? For me, it's follow your passions. Um, absolutely follow your passions. If you are excited to learn how to make Elizabethan roughs, learn how to make Elizabethan roughs. If you are interested in theatrical photography, bring a camera to rehearsals. Like if you're interested in social media, like whatever you're interested in, whatever you're curious about, whatever you're excited about, learn a little bit about it. You don't have to become an expert. You don't have to know, you know, more than anybody else. But like, if you have just even like this much experience, you know, at the at there will come a time where it becomes handy and it becomes important and you know like I like just today or yesterday I was out doing sound and the only reason I know anything about sound 
is because like one time I picked up a spare gig doing like technical direction at a local high school when I was in college and I had no idea what I was doing and I taught myself and I was like haha like reading manuals online you know um yeah it's just everything around you has the potential to become useful later on but also like just inspire you and be a place to draw from or learn from creatively and I think that's so important is is there's I don't think as as creative people you should ever be in stasis. You know, you should always be like reading something or watching something or learning something. I watch a lot of Netflix, so that's how I do my research. <laughs> um, I completely agree. The way I think of it is that we're sort of born. I feel like we're born with like stuff inside us that, mm-hmm. like, it's our choice what we, I think of it as like seeds. Like this is my sort of metaphor, um, yeah. and it's our choice what we decide to sprout. Mm-hmm. And so when when we feel drawn to something, when we feel passionate about something, there's a reason that we're drawn to that thing instead of this other thing. Yeah. Or that we're drawn to it today, but we weren't yesterday. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Might as well just like do that, right? Because those passions are things that we were, that were given to us that we should just like take advantage of. Yeah. And and I think too, you know, I don't necessarily know if I believe in like fate or the universe Mm -hmm. or whatever, but I think that life or whatever power you believe in um puts the people around you that you need at that time and so that's like kind of my other thing is like I think that remembering like there's always somebody who knows something interesting right especially like at the renaissance festival right like oh my god like last year like I was like out on my lunch break like learning how to swallow fire like it's fine like that's a thing that I can do now right because I but like because I asked you know And the thing is, is like, especially in the theater, I think it's important to remember that like, there are so many people who have so many unique and interesting experiences, like learn from them, listen to their voices, invite those voices into the room, especially ones that are different from your own. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, don't be like, I say this, don't be a gatekeeper, you know, because I think sometimes is, is it's sort of a natural human condition to want to like protect your knowledge so you can be the most knowledgeable but I found like the the people who are the most knowledgeable and the and the and the most awesome performers are people who are giving up that knowledge and they want to share and they want to learn and, and they want to share it with other people. And I think that's a really important skill set and a and a really important way to be for creative people, you know? I don't know. One hundred percent. Completely, completely. Um I'm like in my brain deciding if I want to go off on like a feminist tangent about how that is typically a very like masculine way to live of like, I need to be the strongest. I need to be the most powerful. Yeah. Um, and that as women, we have, I guess I'm going on the tangent. I guess it's I decided. Right. Do it. Um, no, Activate it. Go. Um, <laughs> we have, we have had to learn to perform in a patriarchal world. And so we've um, sort of like taken on those ideals, right? Those, um, that approach. Whereas, Generally, though, if you go into like a matriarchal society or you go into a group of women or, you, you know, anything that is like a more feminine space, you find that sharing of knowledge, the sharing of power, yeah. that, a much more like community approach to things. So. Yeah. And, and well, I mean, it's interesting that you say that too, because like one of the things that is, is something that I struggle with is that, and, and, and not in a bad way, but just sort of by the nature of what it is, is that there are, you know, for a really long time, Renaissance festivals were sort of like a very masculine world. Mm -hmm. And so 
like as a woman coming in and as I hate the phrase young woman because it makes it me sound like I'm 12 but like as a woman who is younger a lot of the people that I am in charge of um you know sometimes that's like a little bit challenging because like I'm a woman and you know if I'm assertive I'm a bitch you know if I'm if I'm telling somebody where to be and where to be there or giving them the note then I'm being a bitch and being bossy, you know, where, you know, and so there's literally times where like, I've had to go to my boss and be like, this man will not listen to me. And I've tried, you know, and that's humiliating. Like that's a humiliating position to be in. And thankfully, like my boss is incredible and he's so supportive and he gets it, you know? Um, and, and so, yeah. And so like, I've worked really hard to, in, in the spaces that I am able in the spaces that I'm able to sort of carve out and define for myself here to make it, you know, like communicative and generative and supportive. Um, and it's, and it's actually like foreign to a lot of people, you know, cause they're like, Oh, what do you mean that you're not just going to like come in and like yell, you know? And I was like, no, like I, like, I want to hear people's ideas. I want to hear that, but it's, it's just, yeah, being, having to fight against some of that sort of like inherently like learned misogyny and, and like that kind of thing is like, it's been weird. It's been a really interesting learning experience. Um, just seeing which which performers and and which people are like, hell yeah, I'll I'll listen to the the new voice in the room and and who are like, oh, well you're a baby. I don't have to listen to you, you know. So, so have you? Do you have any tips? Have you found a way to sort of um, not sort of to be more to be assertive and to assert your voice? Yeah. In those spaces. Yeah. I mean, my thing, and, and it's, it's funny to say it this way, but like one of my greatest weaknesses is that I'm just an inherently very nice person. Um, and I'm, and I'm proud of being nice, you know, like I, I work really hard to be nice because I think sometimes it's a lot harder to not be nice. Um, but I think sometimes people take being nice or, oh, I can walk all over this person or I can demand things or treat you a certain way because you are nice. Um, and so one of the things that I've really had to learn and one of the things that I've, I've really had to work on is that line of like, I will be nice to you and I will support you and I will give you what I can, but also at the end of the day, like I am your boss and you have to listen to me. And that's, and that's something that is very foreign to me, you know, because I think like the Renaissance Festival is theatrical in so many ways, but there's also ways that it, it's very much not. And one of those is like, I feel like in theater, especially like when you're working in a cast or even, you know, like the director is technically your boss, but there's also like a very like generative sort of like you can share and there's like a give and take. Um, but in a lot of places in, in my position, I don't have the luxury of that give and take. I have like a lot of like hard lines, you know, like you sign the contract or you don't. And so that's been really hard for me because like I, my, my instinct and my impetus is to, to be, you know, give that give and take. Um, and so, yeah. And so like, I've had to work really hard to just be like, no, like these are my boundaries. These are my limits. These are the things that you can and cannot do. This is the behavior that I will accept. And um, thankfully, you know, everybody's been on board. You know, I've only had a couple of like problem children, um, you know, but yeah, it's just, it's so, it's weird. It's a weird position to be in sometimes, you know, it's, it's not, it's, I love my job, but it is a lot harder than I think a lot of people assume. Especially for a woman, I guess. Yeah. What yes. are a few skills or, and this is going to be fun because you have a ridiculous, oh, diverse yeah, I'm taking set. notes. Okay. Yes. Skills. Okay. Skills okay. or habits of mind. Habits of mind. 
that okay. have been most valuable to you. You're like writing down the question. That have been most valuable to you as an artist and craftsperson. You are both okay. an artist and okay. craftsperson. So. so skills, um, this is gonna sound really stupid, but Excel. Um, like, we, like theater people, like, and I, I'm making a broad sweeping generalization, but like, the, I think a lot of times there is the, oh, how do I say this without sounding like an asshole? Um, I think sometimes like, depending on where you fall on like the, the creative spectrum, um, you know, like if you are like purely an artist or you're like an administrator or whatever, I think that sometimes there's, there's kind of a disconnect, um, between like the art side and the administrative side, not all the time, but sometimes. Um, and I think that like, honestly, knowing how Excel works is like the fastest and best way to have like, a, like a shared vocabulary between the administrative side and and the artistic side. Um, because if you can sort of talk in terms of like money and funding and where that fits on the budget spreadsheet and how that works in the payroll breakdown and stuff like that, um, it, it's sort of like Excel is so practical and like a brain and like, you know, just logistical that it, it forces you to think a different way. Like you can't be creative with Excel. You have to put the thing in the box and it has to work or the spreadsheet breaks. And I know it's stupid, like super stupid, but that was like one of the best things that I ever learned was like, I learned how to use Excel really, really well. And it's come up so many times in my life. Like that, I don't think it's stupid at all. It's actually, it's, it was yeah. a completely unexpected tip. Um, yeah. But I agree, I think it's really, important as someone who does like a little bit of everything also yeah. it's really important to be able to talk to people about the money and the facts and the data yeah and then also be able to like do the creative artistic yeah. side but you have to be able to translate you don't have to be able to translate but someone has to be able to translate, yeah right there's yeah. gotta be someone on the team who can do both yeah um i think also like just use generally useful skills um there's so many you know like know how to put together a basic website know how to write a good email, um, you know, like just really basic sort of like, it, it doesn't have to be the focus of your work, but like if you can build yourself a, a quick five page website, you know, you can, you can, it's so simple, you know, um, know how to write a good pitch email, know what needs to go, you know, like know where your commas are supposed to go and that kind of thing. Um, just preparedness, you know, like that kind of stuff. I think that's really useful. And sometimes that's the stuff that they don't like teach you in school, you know, they teach you how to like go to an audition, but they don't teach you how to like write the pitch email. And it's like your submission email is like part of that audition and part of who you are. And I see so many bad emails and so many bad pitches. And it's like, and I just want to be like, let me, let me, let me rewrite this. Let me give you some notes about what, what this could be. I'm not going to hire you, but I could help you in the future. Okay. Habits of mind. Um, this, okay. I'm going to rant for a second and I'm sorry. I'm ready. Um, I think and I'm gonna get real feminist for a second. Um, Yay! That as as women in theater, we are often asked to give more of ourselves than is fair or is okay or is possible without hurting yourself or the people around you um, with like exhaustion and mental fatigue and just, you know, like work-life balance is a huge thing. And so I think a really good habit of mind is just being present 
with yourself and being, you know, and, and coming in and saying, okay, what can I get done today? You know, cause this is my job. This is what I do every day. It's like, I have a, a to-do list that's literally a notebook. Like it's not a page, it's the entire notebook. I know that I'm not going to get all of those things done today. I also know that if I wanted to, I could stay here until midnight and I could come in at 6am and I could work, but like, that's not healthy. That is not going to be a supportable thing that can last, you know? And so I think being willing to politely, you don't have to be a jerk about it, but politely setting boundaries, letting people know that like, yes, if it's an emergency, you can call me at 4am. But if, you know, if don't, <laughs> if you don't have to, you know, like those kind of things I think are really important. Um, and, and being able to say like, it is, you know, I'm going to take the day off. I'm not going to check my email. I'm not going to check my Facebook. You know, I'm setting my phone aside. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to sit outside in the sun and not talk to anybody. Um, I think that's, and, and it's just, I don't know, maybe it's just me, maybe, and this is just my experience where I'm speaking from. Um, but I know that I say yes to so many things that I should say no to just because I want people to like me. I want to be nice. I want to help people and I want to give of myself. Um, but if you give too much, there's nothing left for you. And I think that's kind of important to remember. I don't know. Like if I were a person and if I was like the producer of a theater company, like why would I hire two or three people when I can just hire this one woman who will do the work of two or three people for one salary, Mm -hmm. right? Which then in a way is like, taking jobs away from other artists, but also ridiculous. Like no one should live that life. We should do the things that we're really good at and then also go home to our families and go to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. And that's like, and that's why, like, honestly, I love this job. Like what's really cool about this job is that it is, I, I have the ability, um, there's, so there's five full-time people like administratively. And so like, what's nice is that we all pitch in and we help each other, you know? And so it's like right now, like I'm building costumes for like the food and beverage people. So they have like costumes, you know, but like food and beverage is helping me with the like logistics of like the weddings that have been booked. And so it's really cool. And and what's really neat about at least the working environment here is that it is very much like a, like I, I was saying before, it's like, it's very much like a give and take, you know, it's like, I've got site crew building me a pavilion, but I was like, I'll paint it, don't worry, you know? And so it's like, so it's cool. Um, I, and I feel really grateful for that because I feel like at a lot of workplaces, especially that are sort of theatrical, you do run into that kind of like, oh yeah, like, well, we've got Katie, so we'll have her build everything and do this and do this, you know? And I'm like, no, like, you know, and so I'm able to sort of set those limits. I think that's really nice. So, oh, I know what it was. It was um, the relentless taking of notes. Um, so this is a fun, this is just a dumb personal snippet about me, but on my 31st birthday, which was not very long ago, um, was the day that I was actually given a clinical diagnosis of ADD. And my whole life, I knew that I had it right? I knew that it was something I struggled with. I knew that I didn't have like a brain that functioned like everybody else's, but the people in my life who were authority figures didn't believe me because I was successful in school. I got really good grades. I was involved. I did all the different activities. You know, I was like a great student. I got like a perfect score on my ACT. And so they're like, you don't have ADD, like you're fine. And I was like, no. Um, and so actually this year it came to a head. Um, and I, I was in a show and I was trying to memorize my lines and I couldn't, I had a huge line load and I would sit down and I would just be like, 
you know, or like something would come up and I would just, and it was, I was terrified and I spent, and I, I learned them, but I learned them, you know, the night before they were due. And it was one of the worst feelings in the entire world. And so like I, I went and I got help and I was like, I, something is wrong with me. I, I need help, you know? And so thankfully I met a great doctor who was like, oh my God. So I got straight A's my whole life. And like, I did this. And so she was like right on board with me. And so she knew what it was like. Um, and so one of the habits, it's weird because I'm, I'm literally in the middle of developing these habits brand new right now for me is that building your own organizational structures is okay. My office is, it's not okay. Like it's, it's so messy. It's so crazy, but it's like, I know how the system works. And sometimes I think that we get so bogged down with this idea that like, we have to do it the way that everybody expects us to do it. I, and I've never been able to do that. I've started like embracing that about myself is like, I know that I can get the work done. I know that I can do it, but it is going to be the weirdest spreadsheet you've ever seen in your entire life, you know? Um, and, and so, yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the, the really good habits that you can have is building organizational structures that work for you and embracing that they don't have to be for anybody else. They are just for you. They are just for your methods. They're just for how your brain works. And if you need to translate them, cause I have to do this all the time. I'll like give my boss like a pile of information and he's like, what is this? Why is it written on like a, I don't know, something silly, a banana. Um, and I'm like, Oh no, it made sense at the time, you know? And so, um, but I think that's really important is like learning how your brain works and how your, you know, how your brain works, how your body works, how you respond to things. Um, that's a really powerful tool for anybody in a creative field. Cause it just, it, it, it helps you work better. You know, you're not trying to force yourself in a, in a system that doesn't work for you. So. Absolutely. Love it. Yeah. All right. What is one thing, and this, this again is probably a hard question to ask them asking you to really narrow it down. Okay. That's okay. The number one most important valuable thing that you do in your theatrical work that if we did it to our lives, it would make our lives better. Oh, man. I feel like I keep saying this and I feel like it's a cop out, but like just following your passions, mm -hmm. get excited about something. There's so many times and so many places where something that you think are like, yeah, one time I read a book about that, like it might come up, you never know, mm -hmm. you know, and it's also just a really good way to make friends. And I think everybody needs more friends. <laughs> All right. Ready? Should yeah. theater be required no. life no. curriculum? You're like, no, no, the end. Uh, should it be required life curriculum? Yes, absolutely. Holy shit. Yes. Why? Fuck. Why? Um, God damn. I just got so heated about that. <laughs> like, I like, oh my God, that made, oh God. Okay. I'm going to rant. Here we go. Like, I think that first off, like even just like a theater 101 class, right? Even just a basic, like, here's what happens when you put on a play. Like there's so much useful that even like a high school kid, you know, it's like organization, people skills, like marketing, design, you know, like there's so many facets of just any other career that go into the production of just one play, you know, like if you really start like expanding outwards and going down the rabbit hole, there's so many. But also I think that, so my, my area of like expertise is Shakespeare. And so I tend to think very like Shakespeare oriented when I'm talking about theater, because in my head, that's the kind of theater that I'm doing. Um, 
but Shakespeare or not, I think that all of the stories that we see on stages, whether they be like, you know, Mamma Mia, which, (sighs) Mamma Mia, um, you know, or King Lear, right? Like, I think there is some sort of fundamental understanding of like what humans need when you go see a play. Like, you know, and I think that's so important. And I think that fostering those conversations about who we are, how we communicate, how we communicate with each other, how we we represent our voices and how, you know, what voices we listen to. I think all of those are such important conversations and they're so easy to have in the context of theater. And they're so easy, you know, it's hard to have, I mean, you probably could, but like, you know, geometry class is like, it's very fixed, right? Like we all know how a triangle works and a triangle is gonna be a triangle. Um, you know, but I think theater offers this really unique opportunity to create conversations of the moment, create parallels and 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 parallels and, and functions that we can use to help people and to make the world a little bit better. And, you know, maybe it's okay if you go see a play and you're a little bit uncomfortable sometimes, you know, I think that's important too. Um, But yeah, I mean, even just the basic life skills that you learn in theater are so so important and they just come so naturally in that work that I think, yeah, absolutely, it should be part of the curriculum. Yeah, I love that point about it being in easy space. And I actually kind of like the word easy in this context, like an open safe space where you have to have conversations about people and humanity and the purpose of things. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't have those conversations, you don't do the thing. Whereas I can go to like a ceramics class or a Spanish class or uh, almost anything else and not be pushed into the, the same level of conversation. Yeah. Well, and I think theater is just so inherently, um, oh, the word is hard and I can't think of it, Um, collaborative. It's such Mm -hmm. a collaborative environment. You know, even if you have, you know, a very, you know, structured, you know, director, SM, ASM, you know, like all of those different like job jobs and, um, you know, in a big giant theater, you know, it's still so collaborative. You're still having conversations about like what you want and what you need and how to get it. Um, and you know, the smaller scale that you get, you know, a lot of production companies, um, are, people are doing two or three jobs. Um, but even like in high school, you know, it's, it's teaching students and teaching, teaching kids to have, be able to have those conversations and how to respectfully disagree and how to respectfully have conflict and how to resolve conflict, um, and how to be self-sufficient and how to, you know, be responsible. And I think theater is, is a really useful tool for teaching all of those things. Um, but in a way that like produces a, like a, like a tangible product, you know, that is like, no, we made a show. <laughs> like, so. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. 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 And it's fun. You know? And we have fun. We have fun. Theater is fun. Totally. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Hands down. Like, that's why we do it. I think most, yeah. for most people, like yeah. we can say like, oh, I have this artistic drive. I need to create, like, I need to tell this, story. but really like, it's just fun. Yeah. Like, it's okay. <laughs> It's okay to admit that. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right, Katie. Plant one seed in the hearts, minds, or spirits of everyone who's listening. Oh, boy. Um, 
here's what I have to say. I think that as artists, as creative types, as people who understand the importance of telling stories, we have been given such a gift. Uh, and it is a gift that we can have fun with and that we can use to have a good time, to celebrate. Um, but I think at the same time, sometimes it is helpful if you take a step back and realize how profound a gift it is and how much it means. Um, you know, because there's a lot of inglorious and, and unglamorous stuff that goes into making a play or a Renaissance festival or whatever. Um, and there are hard days and there are long nights and there are times where you just want to punch somebody in the face. But remembering back to the first show that you saw or the first time that you were inspired and remembering what you felt like and realizing that at every performance, there's probably that kid. There's that kid sitting in the back of the auditorium who doesn't have very many friends or he, you know, where she's looking for you know, her opportunity to shine or they're, you know, just they're, they need this and they've been looking for this and it's going to like awaken that passion in them. I think that's so serious and it's such a gift and, and remembering that and remembering that it's, it's, you know, that is something that you can't put a value to, you know, you can't put a dollar on, on maybe sometimes literally saving a life. Um, and I, and I think that's, and I take that so seriously and I think it's so in, profound and maybe a little trait as well. Um, but yeah, I just, I think that's really important. And I think that having gratitude for that opportunity and, and expressing that gratitude to the people around you for allowing you those opportunities to create and allowing those opportunities, um, to happen, um, is really important. Gratitude is important and, and taking a step back, I think is important sometimes. Uh, and on that note, <laughs> my gratitude to you for your time, again, for your energy, for your courageous sharing of your story and all of the beautiful things that are inside of you that are like making me cry. Um, if people want to reach out to you to be friends or to hire you or to- be my friend or hire hey, me. I like both of those things. I know, right? How do we find you? Okay, um, so you can find me a number of different ways. If you're interested in learning about the Georgia Renaissance Festival, um, you can visit us on the website, which is garenfest.com. Um, if you want to shoot me an email, you can. Um, it's katie.osborne at gmail.com. Don't sell my email to spam, please. Um, my website is katieosborne.com. Yeah, but you know, and and if you're excited about Shakespeare or you want to know a lot about Titus Andronicus, please hit me up. Um, or if you just want to know about like working in the Ren Fair or whatever, like I love making new friends. So please, like I just, I love people. Be my friend. Amazing. Well, I'm happy to be your friend. Katie, thank oh, you so, thank so, you much. so much. Yeah. Have an awesome rest of your day. Um, get back to your Ren Fair and be I will awesome. try my best. Thank you for giving me an hour long break. <laughs> oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Well, that's it for today. If you want to chat about what you've heard, learn about upcoming episodes before they drop, or simply say hello, follow Find Your Light Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at FYL Podcast or on Facebook at Find Your Light Podcast. 
Take a second right now to hit that subscribe button and tell your friends how awesome you think this podcast is so they can subscribe too. If you or someone you know would make a great guest, email the Find Your Light team, which is currently comprised of yours truly and my cat. You can reach us both at podcast at emilystamets.com. If you'd like to share your thoughts and stories on the podcast, leave a message at 858-333-7713, which spells absolutely nothing relevant, or email an audio file to podcast at emilystamets.com. Until next time, stand confidently center stage and enjoy your show.